Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 30th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me in today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. I was absent from last yesterday's episode because uh, we had some some rainstorms in Southern California and that uh, power was out in my whole neck of the woods because apparently, uh, <laughs> apparently Hollywood has no infrastructure for like, you know, weather of any kind. I don't understand how people <laughs> on the East coast, like, like I have, I have water dripping from my ceiling into like, pots right now because i have a leak uh so i like, i don't know why people in california can't build houses that uh can withstand rain whereas where i'm from from massachusetts like you know it was insane winters every winter and nothing but <laughs> but anyways okay the, the, i've gone off on a rant we have a lot of news to get to uh let's start off with some late breaking news and that is that we have a new actor who has joined the star wars live action tv show the mandalorian uh ben tell us about it yes three-time oscar nominee nick nolte has joined the cast of the mandalorian the new show um from john favreau and this is going to be airing on Disney Plus. And uh, Nolte, of course, was the star of movies like 48 Hours and The Thin Red Line. And he was really, really great in this film called Warrior that not uh, not enough people have seen. It came out in like 2011 or something like that. Um, seek that movie out if you've not seen it. Uh, Nolte is sort of like the, the prototypical grizzled uh, tough guy. He's 77 years old right now. And we have no idea what character he's going to be playing in the show. But it's possible that he's going to be just providing a voice for like a visual effects character, <clears throat> excuse me, or he could just be playing, um, you know, a, a war weary soldier or, you know, the possibilities are pretty endless here, um, <laughs> especially with like what we were talking about recently, how uh, John Favreau is is going to be implementing uh, some pretty VFX heavy tech into this show. So um, I don't know. What do you guys think about Nolte joining the Star Wars universe? Well, 
it's very interesting because this show has been filming for I think over a month now, and we're finally just getting these big names who are attached. But I think that's probably because, like you say, a lot of these characters might be under masks or under you know VFX, and it might they might actually only be providing the voice or performance capture later on. I'm assuming. I I I, I don't know. I know I was at this. Uh, Infinity War uh, screening a couple days back. I meant to talk about it in yesterday's episode uh, before the rain happened. And uh, I wrote, or actually Chris wrote a rundown of all uh, the, the stuff I learned from that Q&A. But one of the things was the Russo brothers were visiting the set of The Mandalorian. They, they did post a photo on Instagram. Uh, and uh, someone asked them during the Q&A about that photo and visiting the set. And they said that the series is being shot in a way unlike any other TV show. So I'm assuming a lot of these characters, I'm assuming Nick Nolte is going to be like some kind of like weird alien creature. That's like performance capture or something. Chris, do you, do you have any ideas? I can't picture Nick Nolte putting on that <laughs> performance capture suit. Like I, I can't picture someone being like, Nick Nolte put this leotard on with all these dots all over it. I just picture him being like, I'm not putting that on. So, <laughs> well, they'll, also, they'll, they'll just videotape him and uh, translate it. They'll, they'll just like have artists translate it to the character. I guess. I mean, I, w- I would rather if it was actually him being in it as like some old grizzled like, ge- general. Like, I, I keep picturing him in the thin red line where I think he gives one of his best performances at this really weary washed up uh, military man who, who, you know, he, he's basically kissed butt his whole career to get up in the ranks and he still hasn't gone anywhere and he's just miserable. And I'm just <laughs> picturing someone like that in the star Wars universe. And I would love to see something like that. It's also interesting because I think Nolte originally auditioned for the role of Han Solo in the original Star Wars movie. And so maybe this could be, I mean, it's kind of a cool full circle thing that he's joining the Star Wars universe now. But maybe they could, I don't know, play on that history a little bit and have him be like an old smuggler who's like not quite Han Solo, but like a Han Solo type or something. I don't know. They could they could lean into that if they wanted to. That would actually be pretty cool. Um you know, the the Hollywood Reporter article that this comes from also noted that they don't know how many episodes any of these actors are appearing in. They don't know if Nick Nolte's role is like, you know, a lead throughout the series or if he just appears as a guest star in one episode. So we, we really know nothing about this until Disney releases some more information um, but I did mention that uh, Q&A with the Russo brothers. I am going to link in the show notes because there was a ton of cool info about Infinity War that was revealed during that question and answer session with the the two directors. Uh, it's not really anything that's like hugely newsworthy, but I think anybody that's a fan of Marvel and who saw Infinity War is going to love all this information. Like they sat down for two hours and uh, they answered a lot of uh, nerdy questions. Uh, but speaking of the Russo brothers, elsewhere, they have uh, kind of clued us in that Chris Evans may not be done with Captain America just yet. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so a little while ago, Chris Evans uh, took to Twitter to announce that he was done with Captain America. I mean, he didn't Well, he didn't out. say that. He, he had like an emotional say, yeah. kind of goodbye. 
Yeah, you didn't let me get to it, Peter. I was getting to it. <laughs> so he didn't <laughs> flat out say, I'm done playing it, but it really sounded like he was saying, I'm done. Uh, and everyone took that to mean, oh, wow, he, he this is the end of Chris Evans' Captain America. Uh, his contract is technically up, so it's very likely. But the Russo brothers said, uh, quote, I think it was more emotional for him than it was us because he's not done yet. I won't explain what that means, but fans will soon understand what I'm talking about. So that's very vague and cryptic, and it could mean a million things. Uh, but uh, in the past, uh, Evans has actually said he would like to get into directing, get in not just acting. So maybe he he's directing some sort of Marvel film. I don't know. I can't imagine him directing it and not appearing in it, so I don't really know how that would work, but that's where we are right now. Well, he could still appear through flashbacks or there's always my crazy conspiracy theory of an idea that uh, Avengers 4 will return him in time with Peggy Carter, which I guess would cause all sorts of time travel uh, ripples and problems with this universe. But it, it's comic book, so who cares? Um, but uh, Ben, what do you think? I have not seen Chris Evans' uh, directorial debut. It's a, a small indie that he made a few years ago. I remember seeing the trailer and being really interested in it. I need to add that to my queue because I think it, it somehow vanished from there. But uh, <laughs> I'm curious to see what kind of a filmmaker he is. He's he's had a long career, um, and I mean, not like he's not like <laughs> he's not super old, but he's worked with some some decent people. So I'm curious to see what he does. And the idea of Marvel giving him a full movie strikes me as a little much a little quickly, you know, but uh, I guess crazier things have happened. Um, I mean, they do I, have I a long if... relationship with him. It's like it, you are, when you are aligning yourself with a filmmaker, you are, it's kind of, you know, it, it's more of a, like a, knowing how they're going to work with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, he certainly has an understanding of like the, the, infrastructure of marvel and the way that the apparatus works and all of that kind of stuff it just um i don't know i'm, I'm wondering if this is going to be something like so far removed from what we're speculating right now like it it easily could be like chris evans reprises his role as captain america in a super bowl commercial or something <laughs> like that you know where he's like fans are gonna figure it out soon and it's just like some completely asinine thing that that has like no bearing on the mcu whatsoever but i don't know we'll, we'll have to wait and see i guess you know, at the Q&A, the Russo brothers also said that if there is a Bucky in Winter Soldier TV series, which we reported is coming to Disney uh, streaming, but it hasn't con been confirmed by the Mouse House, that they are not not involved in that in that uh, show. So I'm wondering, could could, <laughs> could Chris Evans be directing that? Hmm. I don't know. Huh. Like, I feel like that would maybe be tougher because then. He's having to kind of direct these people that he kind of like start alongside. It's kind of, you know, have you ever had a job where you were promoted and then you had to kind of like wrangle in the people that you were kind of friendly with, you know? Yeah, but like, could... you know, uh, people like John Krasinski and and um, actually I'm not 100 percent sure if he directed episodes of The Office, but a lot of cast members of The yeah. Office over over the years ended up directing episodes of that show. And I feel like that's a fairly common thing with long running TV shows where 
people will have aspirations to direct and they'll they'll be given the opportunity to direct the show yeah. that they're on so they're like acting in it and directing their their own co-workers so uh, it's not outside of the realm of possibility didn't uh john ham and uh the other guy from mad men direct episodes oh john slattery yeah yes correct i i it's... believe both of them directed episodes of mad men i could be wrong but uh Yes. Anyways, uh, let's move on to another Disney property. Mary Poppins Returns had its world premiere last night. I was there. Uh, Ben, you saw it earlier at a uh, critic screening. Uh, So all the early buzz hit the web last night after the screening. That was when the embargo broke. What do people think of the Mary Poppins sequel? As expected, people love this movie. Uh, there's so many people calling it delightful, saying that it's packed with old school charm. It keeps you smiling. People are are comparing it to the equivalent of a cinematic hug. There's tons of praise for Emily Blunt's performance, stepping in uh, for Julie Andrews in the role of Mary Poppins. Um, somebody says that uh, Silas Lesnick, from, formerly from Coming Soon, says it anticipates and miraculously evades any cynicism and leaves you in a state of joy. Uh, so many people are basically like comparing this this uh, movie to like a therapy session, like a, a thing that they didn't know that they needed, but they feel so much better about life after they uh, walk into this and then uh, are you know experience this this glory on screen and then walk out. Um, I have to say, though, that uh, I saw this movie a little while ago, and this movie was just not for me. Uh, I think, Peter, weirdly, you and I and uh, Yolanda uh, Machado are the three people on the entire Internet that I found last night scouring these reactions as they were coming in who did not love this mo- this movie. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like uh, – <laughs> what? all right, I'll, I'll just pass the ball to you here. What did you think about this film? I think I'm beginning to realize that I might just not like Rob Marshall as a director. Like I'm just not into his kind of very stagey musical performances. I know this film is crowd pleasing. I saw it at the world premiere and people are clapping and laughing. You know, it, like people seem to be really into it. Maybe we are just the curmudgeons here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it felt very paint by numbers, like. The whole plot of the movie, I figured it out in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie. And then, like, the movie goes on for two hours. And, like, every time a new song starts, I was just kind of, like, checking my watch. Like, when is this going to end? I don't know. It has great production design. The music is good. I like Lynn. I I, I like Blunt. There's some moments with her that are – there are some great moments. But otherwise, I felt it was was very missing – the magic and yeah, the totally. greatness. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just like for me, the music is the big thing. And the music in the first Mary Poppins movie is iconic. And all of those songs are so great. And this movie has tons of music in it. But none of the songs struck me as being particularly good or memorable. And I really don't think it's just because I've heard the ones from the original Mary Poppins a million times. I think they're like, you know, objectively not as good um, and that's a that's a big part when the movie breaks into it basically pauses to break into a song and dance number every few minutes. If the music isn't there, that's going to be a big 
a big thing. But uh, I don't know. I, I again, we're very much in the the minority here, and I'm sure everybody listening to this is probably gonna love it. So uh, fear not, people, if you're really looking forward to this yeah. movie. I think the the odds are in your favor on this one. I will say this: after I did tweet out my response, I did get a bunch of responses from critics who have seen this that also agreed with us, Ben. So it's oh, not really? ju- it's not just us three alone. It maybe was us three. When the embargo broke, but okay. it, it does seem Good. like yeah. they overwhelmingly people are enjoying this film, and I'm 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 really actually curious what our resident Crobungeon, Chris Evangelista, will think of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> <sighs> I don't I don't know when I'm gonna see it because I I didn't go to my screening because uh, someone else is reviewing it for us. So I don't know. I don't know if my wife wants to see this or not. So if she does, maybe we'll go around Christmas. But it's not exactly something I'm jumping to see i i don't really have much of a connection with mary poppins i don't uh care about it that much i mean i like emily blunt i like lin-manuel miranda but i I don't know i don't know how much i want to see this i do want to ask one one last thing ben what is your relationship with rob marshall's other films like do you think do you think it's like just a taste thing i i feel like for me i just feel like it's a taste thing of like i'm just i just don't like how he shoots I, i just don't like his films yeah, I'm not a big Rob Marshall fan. I mean, he directed Chicago. That was like his first big feature. And he won, uh, you know, that movie won Oscars back in the yeah. early 2000s. And he's also done like Memoirs of a Geisha. But recently he's become more of a Disney guy. He directed uh, Into the Woods most recently and um, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which I thought was pretty bad. So, I mean, and I wasn't a, a big fan of Into the Woods either, although that movie, too, has its moments, but largely because of the performances. And I and I. Enjoyed Emily Blunt in this in this movie, but I just I feel like you're right, Peter. I feel like uh, Rob Marshall is more of a choreographer than a director. He he stages things, and it just feels I don't know. I, I I'm not able to get sucked away into the worlds that he creates, like other people are. Yeah. It, it, oh, and one last thing. To me, it felt kind of like almost like a fan film, a fan sequel, but yeah, with like you know much. great people. Like it felt like everything that you worry about would happen with like a you know like when they announced creed as a rocky sequel like i like this has every one of my worries <laughs> just the, the way they handle things but um okay anyways i'll i'll, I'll stop t- talking about this i'm curious to hear what the, the other slash film staff think about this movie when they when they eventually see it we'll probably hear about that in the water cooler let's talk about some other news that broke over the night and that is that uh netflix has canceled Daredevil. This is something that we didn't expect. Chris, what do we know? Yes, uh, Netflix has been slowly pulling the plug on their Marvel shows. Uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist was canceled first, then Luke Cage, and now Daredevil has been canceled after three seasons, leaving only uh, Jessica Jones and The Punisher as the only two remaining shows uh, that belong to Marvel and Netflix right now. Uh, In the statement, they said... they that there are possible future projects for the the character. And that could mean anything. It could mean, you know, Netflix uh, in Jessica Jones or Punisher, or it could mean Disney plus. But as for now, the daredevil series itself that appeared on Netflix is over and done with. This is so weird because when uh, Disney announced their streaming service, uh, actually a couple months back, I believe one of the executives at Netflix 
basically was on record saying that we are happy with the performance of these shows and that it is our it's within our like responsibility if we want to cancel these or not saying that basically Disney does not, you know, call the shots on that one. And then three months later, three of the shows have been canceled, including Daredevil, which I think is overwhelmingly the, you know, the fan favorite and uh, critically acclaimed. Uh, Ben, you wrote an article on the site basically trying to round up what we know about the future of Daredevil. And uh, can these canceled Netflix Marvel shows continue on Disney Plus or is that not possible? So there, there's a lot of uh, sort of weeds to get through here, but it, we know that Marvel is going to let its current deal with Netflix expire in 2019. And we know that Disney Plus, the new streaming service, is going to be in direct competition with Netflix when that debuts in the late 2019 as well. So, th- you know, there are a lot of factors to take into consideration here. But one of the things is that Alan Sepinwall, who's a veteran TV journalist who's been covering the TV industry for a long, long time, uh, said recently that the executives at Disney have said, or at Marvel, have said that they don't want these Netflix shows on Disney Plus. And even if they did, the nature of the contracts would make it virtually impossible. So he's talking about uh, Kevin Feige and the team at Marvel Studios are going to be the ones who are producing these new live action Marvel shows for Disney Plus while the shows like Daredevil and Luke Cage and stuff like that were produced under Marvel TV, which is a separate division of Marvel Entertainment. It's run by uh, Jeff Loeb, and it's sort of under Ike Perlmutter's jurisdiction still, the the leader of uh, Marvel Entertainment. So there is a division in the company there, and Seppenwall speculates that if the Disney people, if, if uh, Marvel Studios people, rather, want to continue the Daredevil story, they could make a new show a few years down the line if they wanted to, but they just don't want to. And if they did, they could they would basically be starting over from scratch and recasting the show from the ground up. So it is possible that these things could end up on Disney Plus. We've actually heard some rumblings from some of the stars of the canceled Netflix shows who believe that their shows are going to be saved by Disney Plus, but it's very possible that that's just wishful thinking on their part. And well, one of the big know, problems it, is Disney Plus is going to be family friendly, and these Netflix shows are like TVMA, right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think uh, that you know one of the the options that I break down in this article is that Daredevil might end up on Hulu because Disney is going to own a majority of Hulu as soon as the acquisition of 21st Century Fox's assets go through at the beginning of next year. And uh, a new report today actually said that AT&T is considering selling its 10% stake in Hulu, and that would give Disney even more control over that. And recently, Bob Iger was talking about, the, the CEO of Disney, was talking about how he wanted to invest more in Hulu and increase its programming. So theoretically, putting shows like Daredevil on Hulu would you know, uh, be the, the solution for all of those things. It would be a way for them to invest and, and give Hulu more shows while also keeping these darker and grittier uh, Marvel shows that are a little bit more violent than the typical stuff that you would normally associate with the Disney brand, keeping that separate from the stuff that's going to be on Disney Plus. So, I mean, we don't have any hard answers right now, but that's a lot of what we've been sort of digging through uh, in terms of looking through options of what could happen for the future of Daredevil. This just seems so weird because like that Netflix quote 
from from the executive basically saying that they're happy with the performance of these shows and that you know it's up to them to decide when they want to cancel them and like you know there's that tweet from the producer of Daredevil who said that he was like looking at a board with the next season of Daredevil all plotted out they had it planned it was like a sudden kind of decision i'm kind of wondering what is behind this like is this netflix deciding that they don't want to support a property that is going to be in their competition like you know they don't want to support marvel or is this was disney making it hard for netflix because i know you know they are co-producing those shows and i i think with one of the shows like luke cage or something it was mentioned that like uh marvel was not happy with the creative uh what, what they were coming up with with the creative future of that show uh, so maybe it's just Disney is kind of trying to, uh, <laughs> you know, in no other better terms, cock block, uh, Netflix with these Marvel shows, uh, you know, contraction in, in a weirdly creative, uh, you know, contractual way. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's also possible too, that Netflix is just really concentrating on investing in their own original shows that they produce in house, which is becoming increasingly important to them. They don't want to license the stuff from other production companies. They like to try to do things as much as they can all themselves. So they own all of it in perpetuity forever. So, and you know, they're, they've, uh, opened a new, um, or at least have talked about plans of opening a new production facility in New Mexico. We talked about that not too long ago. I think today, Peter, you just shared a link with us in the Slash Film Slack about how they're talking with people at Pinewood Studios in, in the UK about uh, locking down some studio space there. So, you know, it could just be that Netflix's priorities are shifting away from, you know, they know that this deal is going to lapse in 2019 anyway. So maybe they're just trying to cut their, you know, cut ties early and, and put their concentration on uh, things that are actually going to work out for them in the long run. I don't know. Yeah. And they also, as you mentioned, they don't have full ownership in these shows. So like all the, you know, Daredevil merchandising and stuff, I'm sure it goes to Marvel and Disney. Like, you know, they they just uh, bought Mark Millar's uh, Miller World uh, a couple years back. So I'm, I'm uh, so they already own their own comic book brand, uh, which I'm sure they're, you know, trying to, you know, invest in. And like, like, what's the point of promoting someone else's comic book brand when you own your own. So, but it'll be interesting to see what happens here because I, I don't, I don't know. It, it seems like there's a bit of information that we do not have that I think is the key to being, Oh, that's why this happened. And I, I feel like we'll probably learn that in the next couple of weeks. And when we do, we'll talk about it on this podcast. Uh, let's move on to another story. And that is the story about, uh, MPAA rule breaker, the house that Jack built. They had this unrated screening and they have angered the Motion Picture Association of America. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so I actually did not know this, but apparently the MPAA has this rule where you can't screen an unrated version of a film uh, so close to when a rated version is going to screen. So uh, what IFC Films was doing here is they were screening the, the unrated cut of the house that Jack built for one night only this week. And then uh, in a few weeks from now, in December, they're also going to screen the R-rated cut. 
but apparently those dates were too close for comfort for the MPAA. And in order to do this, uh, IFC Films was, would have to sign a waiver, which they did not do. And as a result, they're uh, in danger of being um, uh, uh, sanctioned by um, the MPAA. And it could spell a lot of trouble for them. It could get the rating removed from the film entirely. It could have other films of theirs uh, be reappraised for ratings. All, all this stuff could possibly happen to IFC films now because they didn't get the appropriate waiver. And uh, on the, you know, I say in the story, technically IFC films did something wrong here, I guess. You know, they broke the rule. <laughs> but this is really uh, bureaucratic nonsense on the MPAA's uh, part. This is like um, Footloose, where John Lithgow. <laughs> tells the town they can't dance it's like look just just let it go mpaa it's really not that big of a deal and uh, another part of me wonders if this was even intentional because the whole way they were selling the house of jack that jack belt was you know oh look at how controversial this lars von trier movie is and i'm wondering if ifc films knew something like this would happen and they took a risk on it because they wanted you know, more press for, you know, look at how dangerous this movie is. But that that's just speculation on my part. I mean, you might be right. Like, seeing how the MPA operates, like, they're not... Uh, have either of you seen that documentary from... I'm guessing it's the mid 2000s. Kirby Dix, yeah, that one from 2006. Yeah, I think. Th- this film is not yet rated. I think it's yeah. called. Um, yes. It's a great documentary. I look at the MPAA and like they they are very vindictive and really how they operate is very, um, I guess, shady. I guess. Yeah, they're 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 like con artists basically. <laughs> That's what the movie made it look like. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't say that they're con artists, but the movie made them look like con artists. I said they're like. I didn't say they are con artists. <laughs> Don't sue me, MPAA. Yeah. Um, I mean, I okay, I'm going to play my devil's advocate hat here. I do see why the MPAA would want an unrated cut of a movie and a rated cut of the movie to be, uh, you know, to have time in between the two because you're marketing one thing to a specific audience and being like, oh, this is okay for kids or, or whatever, you know. And then you have this unrated cut that, you know, audiences could theoretically walk into not knowing that that is the unrated cut, even though it probably says unrated cut and all the signs and everything. Okay, I've already talked myself out of this position. <laughs> and especially with the kid angle. I mean, this is a Lars von Trier yeah. movie, you know. Yeah, I was trying. It didn't It didn't work. Sometimes these devil's advocates just don't, don't work out. Uh, but, okay, let, let's move on. We're, we're going to move on to our last story, and that is that the BFI is saying they won't fund any movies that depict villains with facial scars any longer. Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, so, you know, as long as I have been alive, uh, and way longer, actually, the uh, movie industry has used scars as sort of a visual a visual shorthand for villainy in movies. I mean, I can't tell you the number of movie henchmen that I've seen over the years who have scars on their faces, and it's just like a, a quick and easy way for audiences to understand that this is a bad guy. But the British Film Institute, or BFI, is now trying to combat the negative stigma that's associated with facial disfigurement, and they have announced that they are no longer going to be providing funding for movies that include villains with facial scars. So they actually are going to be funding 
I guess, going out of their way to fund movies that are sort of the opposite. They, they just provided funding for a new drama called Dirty God that focuses on a woman in South London who rebuilds her life after an acid attack. And that movie is going to star a new actress named Vicky Knight, who is a real life survivor of uh, facial burning, I think. So this is kind of a, an interesting thing. I mean, it's it's. Look, nobody is saying that filmmakers can't make movies with villains who have facial scars. The BFI is just saying that we're not going to financially support you if you do that. So it's not a freedom of speech issue. I can already hear people, you know, up in arms about this. I, yeah, I but it's a, the, it, it is a funding issue here. So, I mean, is this a dangerous precedent to set? I, I don't think so, because I feel like the BFI is a private organization that, you know, that they're their mission statement is to uh, basically promote the, the the quote from their their royal charter says that they the organization was founded in part to promote their use as a record of contemporary life and manners so i feel like that means that they have a responsibility or they feel like they have a responsibility to reflect the world the way that it is and that means updating uh social mores with with the times, you know, like the, I, I feel like this is n nothing but a good thing. Um, <laughs> the idea that I, I just feel like it's one of those things that people wouldn't have thought about five years ago or 10 years ago, you know, like people just wouldn't have taken into consideration the uh, thoughts and feelings of the, of people who have been disfigured and they, uh, the idea now that people are, are actually taking that into consideration, I feel like is a good thing. I feel like it's a right a step in the right direction for society. But um, I don't know, Peter, do you do you are you actually playing devil's advocate here or do you really think that this is uh, a negative thing? No, I, I actually think this is a very thoughtful thing to come up. And it's something that I believe all Hollywood studios should, uh, you know, consider when they're they're <laughs> creating their villains. Um, I guess uh, my devil's advocate is when you kind of like make a, you know, the statement that like no villains can ever have facial scarring. And it's like, like I know that this is the BFI, but like, what if Hollywood did that? Like, I feel like that's a little bit restrictive. I do see, you know, I do see the point. I'm sure people that have facial scarring have seen themselves and people like them be monsterized on the big screen. Um, and I'm sure that that comes from the fact that like, uh, you know, back in the day, if you had some kind of facial uh, deformity, or even if you were in some kind of handicapped situation, you were probably picked on as a kid. And then those kind of people rise up to, you know, be like, Donald Trump and be <laughs> whatever. Uh, so I, I guess that's probably where it came from in like, you know, the lineage of, of storytelling. Uh, but I, I definitely see the, the I also I don't know, to me, a facial scar on a villain is just kind of cliche these days yeah that's that's part of my yeah. thing is like you know if let's say that hollywood just you know actually that every major movie studio adopts the same rule and what that means is that they would just have to come up with more creative ways to <laughs> make villains villains you know like yeah. or, or to to uh create a new visual shorthand for them to be villains or something like that you know and i, I feel like that's there's not, not any bad aspect to that but i don't know chris what do you think about this 
it's it's tough because I can I can definitely see it both ways. I can see you know, it, it, you know someone growing up with a facial scar or something like that being upset by it. Uh, but at the same time, I I really get really nervous when people start censoring art like this. So I, I don't know. At the same time, you know I, I do want the world to be you know, nicer for lack of a better word. I want the world to be a bit kinder. So, uh, you know, because I feel like the world is terrible right now. So maybe if something like this actually helps, maybe it is worth it. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, and I guess it's it's also important to just to mention that this is one institution and the situation I was talking about where Hollywood, you know, every studio does it, that's not in play right now. And as far as we know, they're not even paying much attention to this. But I think right now it's just one organization that's not yeah. providing funding. So there are other ways. It's not like full-on censor- censorship because there are other ways for people to find funding and probably either even other ways from the British government, uh, like the film four and stuff like that. There are other uh, funding initiatives out there that will probably, you know, be able to supplement people and, and stuff like that too. So it's not necessarily like they're making a blanket statement. It's just this one organization that's sort of taking a stand. Um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good jumping off point for a conversation, I think. Okay. So this brings us to the end of today's slash film daily. Chris, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today linked in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, if you can, go to our iTunes page, give us a five-star review, write a couple words, say some nice things, and uh, spread the word. We'll see you on Monday. You know what this shows, guys? It just shows that Steven Spielberg is, again, a visionary. He gave a facial scar to the romantic interest in Ready Player One. Not the villain, but the the hero's, you know, uh, no? (laughs) Peter, I can't believe... (laughs) I can't believe you're you're bringing this around and trying to make Ready Player One seem like a great thing. I <laughs> wow. I just wanted yeah. to hear uh, Chris groan and he didn't do it. So no, I, my mic was off. I was groaning inside. <laughs> I I, I want to clearly state right now. I don't actually believe that. I was just making a joke. 